Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Michael J. Robillard, PhD, independent scholar and free speech advocate, and co-author of the brand new book, Don't Go to College, A Case for Revolution. And Michael Robillard, welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. I'd like to start here because I think it's very important, uh, the purpose and foundation of America's earliest colleges, because it's so different than we see them today. Yeah, yeah, certainly. At a, I would say almost a complete inversion as to what the original purpose of academia and, and college was about going all the way back to our Catholic and, and Aristotelian Christian foundations in Europe, which then carried over to the American college system. Uh, and that carried at least for, I guess, a hundred plus years. But really since the sixties onward, we've seen an institution that was designed to make responsible family minded citizens into really a, a set of revolutionary leftist revolutionaries. And, and it's just gotten to really a fever pitch in the last five years. I think it's important also to look at when and why things got off track. I mean, not that we can fix what happened before, but so that we don't make the same mistakes. So what happened? So I think there's, there's two major theories or, or stories out there. I'll, I'll give you both of them. So the first one is the line of thought that, People will often hear from somebody like a Jordan Peterson or Peter Bogosian or James Lindsay. You know, Peterson's theory is something to the effect that when you look at whether it be uh, the Frankfurt School and, and Antonio Gramsci and the, the, the Marxists of that tradition, when they realized that the theories of Marx did not come to fruition in the first half of the 20th century, then their thought was to, well, we need to rejig Marxism into an oppressor versus oppressed narrative and aim to take out the the cultural foundations and, and cultural institutions of the West. And this is Gramsci's so-called long march through the institutions. This is really the the embryonic seeds of critical theory and deconstructionism. And those seeds are planted with the express telos of trying to undermine Western civilization and the West Christian underpinnings in the thirties. It, it, it takes hold particularly in the, in the sixties with folks like Saul Alinsky. And then what we're seeing now at campuses is really the inheritance of three, three generations now of neo-Marxist uh, propaganda that is just getting increasingly revolutionary and destabilizing. So that's the first theory. As Roman Catholics, my, myself and my co-author, Timothy Gordon, we locate the problem or, or the source of this really going back to the Enlightenment and the French Revolution 
and the removal of Aristotle or or Aristotelian virtue theory and a notion of, of telos or, or purposeful direction to the world within that the, the Western worldview. When, when that gets removed with the Enlightenment and the uh, reign of terror, as we move forward and there's a removal of telos and a removal of virtue, we see now is, is an inheritance of the removal of, of that conceptual framework from the world. So was that removal, if we follow that path, was that removal done knowingly to lead to where we are now? Were there people conspiring to undermine us or did it just happen? I think it was, it, it's a bit of both. I mean, the, the guillotining of 30,000 priests in in France uh, certainly didn't didn't help matters. But I think it's also when you look at the, you know, the writings of Francis Bacon and, and folks like that, you know, he had a, a particular antipathy towards, towards Aristotle. Some of the assumptions of the enlightenment thinkers, be it Locke or Mill or Rousseau or Hobbes or Kant, you know, they all have a picture of the human person that is not teleological or it's not purposefully oriented. Each of those accounts they overlap insofar as they reject the idea that man has an essential nature or that women have an essential nature or that the human person or that uh, the, the physical world and, and nature itself has a, a purposeful nature to it. That concept is, is removed from the, the Western worldview. What you then see is essentially a, a centralist universe with a lot of individuals sort of pursuing their own prerogatives, but with no, nothing really holding any of it together. And that, that starts the cracks in the dam. Uh, and now, you know, here we are, we're 200 plus years later, in- inheriting the, the downstream effects of that. The book admonishes people don't go to college, but you also talk about why people do go to college or why they think about going to college. So what are those reasons? Well, I mean, I think the, the reasons are, are very benign, and, and it's, a, it's a narrative that we've at least inherited that seems to make sense, having come from you know, the post-World War II era, where parents thought to themselves, well, I, I want my kid to, to have a better situation uh, I'm in now, and, and what you need for that is more schooling and more credentialing, right? We need these credentialing degrees in order to uh, get a leg up and to have economic mobility. You know, that if-then statement, if it were true, then, you know, you could run the cost-benefit analysis and say, okay, well, you know, maybe it is worth plugging my ears and listening to some of this leftist propaganda that there might be in, in the humanities. I'll ignore that. I'll get my degree and then I'll move out. Maybe it's worth the student loans. But I'm not even sure if that if-then statement's really true anymore. You know, as we see with with the uh, millennials and the Gen X uh, generation, uh, we've seen so many people, with myself included, with, with advanced degrees, student loan debt, and then a absence of, of ability to translate that into into anything that that matters uh, in in the world in terms of real world practicality. It makes us, myself and Tim Gordon, think that we really need to go back to the trades uh, in terms of uh, encouraging people to to go to that instead of these, you know, degrees on top of degrees. Michael, I have three children. One is of college age. The other two are approaching college age. I have no inclination to send any of my kids to a college in the way that I went. Are you hearing from a lot of people like me or is that still pretty rare? I think uh, it's been a mix, right? So like you see this 
a huge um, homeschooling movement that yes. is occurring within the the K through twelve time period, right? Because parents are seeing how how woke and how much indoctrination is in the public school system. What we're essentially advocating for it's almost a two point like logical next next step for 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 that ethos and that generation. If K through twelve is corrupt, then most of these state schools are are likewise going to be 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 the same. We're living here in Central Virginia, the home of the University of Virginia, and I've noticed there, as well as colleges and universities across America, that standards are being lowered. In other words, we're not letting in enough of whatever is considered to be the right type of people or the people need to be here. So instead of bringing them up, we'll let all the standards go, including a lot of the standardized testing. Uh, What does that do to the value of a college education? That's completely correct, and and we note uh, in a a lot of fine-grained detail in, in the book is really waters down the, the meaning of what a, a university degree is supposed to mean. I don't know if it's, if it's even anything more now other than seeing whether or not a person can bend themselves through the, through the, through the hoops and the gates that, that are set up there. You look at people like Peter Thiel or Elon Musk. I mean, they've said things to the effect where the, that they would look at a college degree as, as not being meaningful at all in terms of hiring somebody. You know, they want somebody who's a free thinker who can think and be innovative and, and self-motivated and uh, think outside the box. So when you look at just how watered down these degrees are, how propagandized the curriculum is, how infantilizing the ethos on campus culture is, uh, I think future employers might actually look at these these degrees as as actually a a, a hindrance and, and not as something that's um, terribly beneficial. So there's going to be a crossover period. I'm wondering to what extent you're hearing of employers who are willing to overlook that. And, and some of this probably has to do with supply and demand because employees are in such high demand right now that I think standards are being changed in that way. But do you see that as a trend? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I mean, I think that, the you know, reality will reality and truth will have to reassert itself at, at some point. You know, you, we, we can't have an entire generation of young Americans going out trying to build houses and bridges and, you know, medical technologies while thinking that everything is a social construct or that uh, the mathematics that they're using is, is racist or oppressive. At some point, the, you know, that bridge is going to fall apart and, and people are going to be held accountable and money is going to be lost and time is going to be lost. So I think at some point there will be a correction uh, in, until we start slashing the, the funding of these these woke schools and, and, and boycotting uh, the Leviathan, I, I think uh, it's going to be somewhat of a headache until we, we course correct. You have a chapter in the book called Wokeism 101. We've all heard the word woke used uh, culturally, but you specifically focus on intersectionality. And a lot of people have heard that word, but they don't really understand it. So what is intersectionality? Right. So intersectionality, uh, this is the, the, the formal concept of, of wokeism, so to speak. Uh, this was a term coined by feminist uh, Marxist lawyer uh, Kimberly Crenshaw in the early 1980s. And it's essentially a theory that presumes that, well, first of all, let me state that it, it's completely anti-Christian and anti-individual and, and anti-citizen to the core. And it presupposes that uh, individuals are essentially a, a cluster of axes and, and narratives. 
and we can look at a person and if they're a female or if they're African-American or if they're disabled or left-handed or <laughs> handicapped, then we can essentially go about a, uh, essentially a point system of seeing how it is, uh, all the ways in which this, this person is, is oppressed in aggregate and then come up with a set of state policies to ensure that they are incentivized and, and that they get, they get ahead of the, uh, the curve in virtue of, of these, these handicaps or these intersectional features of oppression. The tacit thing here, it, it presumes that the persons have, you know, they have no dignity and that they have no agency of their own, and that they're, they're just victims. So it really encourages students on these campuses to, to just think of themselves in terms of just being a victim and looking out into the world and, and, and imagining all, all of these completely unfalsifiable systems that are weighted against them instead of taking personal responsibility and trying to become a, a fully formed citizen and adult. You have in that same chapter a terrific quote from Noam Chomsky about limiting the spectrum of acceptable opinion. And boy, do I see that going on today in the discussions that are allowed and those that are not allowed at the University of Virginia and other places. Certainly. Yeah, this was uh, actually the that phenomenon particularly is what made me leave academia. Uh, I was a postdoc researcher at, at Oxford for four years doing you know, really technical philosophy. Uh, I was a military officer, too, so I was doing philosophy in the space of just war theory and counterterrorism ethics and, and autonomous weapons. It was fun for me. to I could nerd out all I wanted when it came to theories of, of artificial intelligence or, or what constitutes target and killing criteria, etc., totally welcome to do that. This is around 2018 where all the gender stuff really broke out into the mainstream and nobody was talking about it at Oxford. And I wanted to give a talk and I, my colleagues pulled me aside and they said, you can't do this. You know, this is, you know, we're going to lose funding. You know, we're going to need a higher security. You know, why, why are you uh, going out of your way to stir up all this trouble? And, and, and I wasn't, you know, I it wasn't a fight I was intentionally taking. I wasn't, courting controversy. It was just something I see it as a philosopher that it's our job to say sometimes when the emperor has no clothes. And that's what I was attempting to do. That effectively put me on the outs of that community. And then I ended up leaving maybe about a year and a half later. I hit the guardrail of acceptable discourse that uh, Chomsky talks about. The Ceiling Show Unleashed podcast continues in a moment with our guest, Michael J. Robiard, PhD. Support this podcast online at shillingshow.com. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. 
Border Hawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at News on Twitter. We turn on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. The book is Don't Go to College. Co-author Michael J. Robillard is with us. I want to talk about the cost of college. I was talking to some young people not long ago who told me they were carrying uh, student loan debt in the uh, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars for a rather pedestrian degree. It was an advanced degree, but it wasn't anything that was very impressive. Uh, how common is that and what happens to those people? Oh, it's, it's exceptionally common. Uh, right now, we're at roughly $1.9 trillion of aggregated student loan debt in the country. 2019 alone, families spent $1.6 billion on student loans to send their kids to college. In this culture of ours, we have this idea that, that student loan debt is somehow good debt and that that's okay to, to take on. We think nothing about it in terms of letting kids that are 17 or 18 sign their lives away when it comes to signing up for these loans, yet what, 25 or something in order to, to rent a car. When you look at this, what this has done, and this is something that's transcended partisan affiliations, where you see folks like AOC and the squad and Congress really clamoring for, for student loan uh, relief. And then you see folks like uh, former Representative Madison Cawthorn saying, don't, don't go to college at all, become an entrepreneur. I think it's encumbered an entire generation plus. Even if they get the job, even if they get, they get the internship after the degree, really what ends up happening is that the, that low-level job, they don't have the activation energy or the inertia to get out from underneath the, the accruing loan until they're in their mid-40s or, so, or 50s. Uh, and that's that's basic, you know, let alone what it costs for I mean, law degrees or, or advanced degrees. Yeah. And of course, you, you mentioned in the book that the left and the, the right have different approaches to solving the problem. But the, the approach of the left is we're going to forgive everybody's loans, um, damn the people who already followed the rules and paid them. And then from now on, everything will be, quote unquote, free, which uh, <laughs> essentially will make the costs skyrocket, even though we won't see it directly. Absolutely. A suicidal plan. Not only is it penalizing people that were more fiscally responsible uh, from the from the beginning, but it also sets up a very dangerous moral hazard and moral precedent. Where well, well, now that we've established that precedent, what does that does that mean? Why every five years there's going to be a, another jubilee moment where where all the loans keep getting absolved? You know, so I think that that's just it's just a bad precedent to to establish uh, across the board and in so many ways. You talk about the historical costs versus today's costs, and college has skyrocketed. Why is it outpacing all of the other areas? Because you bring up quite a few examples in the book. Mike Rowe and uh, Dave Ramsey. Well, Dave Ramsey has a documentary about this, uh, and he quotes Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs. And Mike Rowe has an excellent quote where he says something to the effect of, in America, we, we got it in our heads somehow that the cost of college, it's, it's priceless, and it's, it's outpaced 
price of oil, price of energy, price price of everything. And it's like, well, there's no commodity that's priceless. It just turns out that it, that it's not. It's just it's become this almost like drinking salt water effect, where you know the, the more we're drinking it, the thirstier we're getting, and then the opportunity cost that is lost uh, with that is starting a family, of starting your own business, of just getting out of school and, and getting on with your life. But that's another cost that gets ignored in, in the in the equation. Yeah, it was interesting that you detailed the cost of getting a bachelor degree and kind of included everything there at around $400,000 possibly. And uh, part of that is the work lost during those four years or four plus years that the student was in college. That's never really discussed. I've never heard anybody analyze it in that way, but it's so important. The opportunity cost really needs to be something that is considered when families and, and young Americans are, are really considering what it is uh, that they're getting into. Uh, and then when you start looking at the fine-grained breakdown of what these universities are actually paying for, the majority of their, their funding, it's, it's going to really like the HR department and, and this, this behemoth of woke administrative overhead. Insane amounts of money that are being paid to the HR departments. Also, uh, in terms of building climbing walls and luxury dorms and five-star dining experiences at the food court, rather than it being about education for, for education's sake or knowledge for knowledge's sake, it's, they're all in an arms race to essentially sell the, the, the college experience, you know, the, the resort college experience to uh, these young Americans. And then that's where a huge amount of the, the money is going in addition to tremendously overpaid deans. And then also like cele- you know, the, the celebrity guest professors, you know, we'll have Elizabeth Warren or Angelina Jolie come in to, to teach a, a class about something and, and pay some, you know, millions of dollars to those folks. So that's, that's where the money's actually going uh, as opposed to actual good quality knowledge. Parents used to send their kids to school, and maybe some of them still do today, although it's certainly not true, as a thing and an experience that would mature their children into adults. And uh, you say it's exactly the opposite. Exactly. As Roman Catholics, myself and Timothy Gordon, you know, we, we believe that persons are purposefully ordered towards becoming adults and having families. And that the family is the, it is the, the foundational cell of civilization. What ends up happening is that when these folks go away to these colleges, you know, there's the, the curriculum itself is a combination of, of, you know, radical socio-sexual liberation plus an attack on the, the family unit as being the nuclear family unit in particular as being fascist or being oppressive, you know, so that's the curriculum that these students are getting by day, you know, in the form of LGBT or LGBTQ or feminism of of various waves. And then at night it's animal house on steroids. And, you know, what ends up happening is these students end up, you know, developing, it's a crucible of sexual vice that, Students then take on with them into their 20s when they go to their jobs into their cities. And then by the time they come out the other side of that, the possibility of forming strong care bonds and families uh, is both habitually, ideologically, 
and uh, logistically uh, stunting. Let's talk about some options that people can consider instead of going to college. What can they do? That's a great question. So we were very much uh, fans of what Mike Rowe has been pushing and Tucker Carlson as well. And they've been arguing for, for a hard return to the trades. Uh, this is something that uh, myself, you know, in the nineties, it, it was somehow just assumed that we need to gut the trades out of high school education to make room for the, the gig economy. I think that carried over to the culture as well. So what we argue for is, is for folks to, to go into the trades and to stay local and, and to have families as quickly as possible and to, to avoid yeah, the, the, these indoctrination centers that are, that are just shunting Americans into, the, into these you know, cubicle, <laughs> these inert cubicle lifestyles in the cities. So the trades is one, one big option. The other is entrepreneurship. You know, so this is what Peter, Peter Thiel has been arguing for. He actually has a, a scholarship, anti-college scholarship, encouraging students to, to become entrepreneurs instead of going to college as well. Certain parts of the military service, I think, could work, though that is becoming increasingly woke as well. So I think people need to, need to be, be selective uh, when they're thinking about that. Those are the big ones that, that we, we point to. And the main thing that we're just arguing for is that conservatives, they're not going to win. They're going to win the culture war with big families and, and more children, not with more advanced degrees. Our, our main prescription is to stay local, get in the trades, work with your hands, start a family, and then get on with your life. If people would like to get a copy of your new book, Don't Go to College, A Case for Revolution, or if they'd like to follow your work online, how can they do that? So uh, Regnery Publishing is the publisher, so you can go to regnery.com and you can get the book there. It's also on all major distributors like Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or Borders. As far as my own work, you can find my my other writings on michaelroblard.com or michaelroblard at Substack. I also have uh, another uh, book. My This is my PhD thesis that I turned into a book uh, through Oxford University Press called Outsourcing Duty. So you can get that book as well. And that's about civil military relations. I hope people will take advantage of the opportunity to read this book. It is so important. And I hope that it is a cultural influencer. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brad. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. <laughs>